This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. Let me submit something to you that may be the best gifts that we'll ever get are gifts that we can never get for ourselves. The best gifts that we'll ever get in life are gifts that we could never earn or buy on our own. And I would venture to say that as we walk through these three weeks that most of us, to some degree, have left these gifts unwrapped. I told you a few things about gifts last week. I want to look at a few passages of Scripture and just reinforce that for you. The first comes from James 1, verses 16 and 17. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. The best gifts always come from Jesus. James 1 tells us that the best gifts that we'll ever get in life always come from Jesus. 1 Timothy 4, 14 tells us this. Do not neglect your gift which was given to you. Don't neglect your gift. Which lets me know this, that it's possible to have received a gift that we never unwrap. The Apostle Paul, speaking to young Timothy, says, don't neglect this gift that was given to you. Don't leave this gift unwrapped. Unwrap it, Timothy. This gift was given for a purpose, and then in 2 Timothy, the second letter that's recorded from the Apostle Paul to young Timothy, again in the first chapter, the Apostle Paul says to him, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. And it reminds us of this truth that we need to grow to understand and utilize the gifts that Jesus gives us, the best gifts that we'll ever get in life come from Jesus. And we possibly can miss those gifts, leave them unwrapped and unused and underutilized. And so we wanted to take a few weeks, look at the Christmas story, and let God remind us of some of the best gifts that he's ever given us. I want to go today to Luke chapter 2, but let me give you kind of the background of what's happening as we get close to our scripture the time of Jesus' birth, there was a census that was being held. And that meant that the Romans were basically trying to understand the populations that they had consumed. And so the Romans were taking a census and they were having everyone to return to their hometown. And so Joseph, being of the house of David, is to return to Bethlehem. And as he returns to Bethlehem, the Bible records that they find no room and they end up in a stable. 
And Mary gives birth to Jesus in those small confines. I don't know if you've been a part of a, of a birth, but just imagine it going down in your barn. All right, not one of those circumstances that we think God would insert himself into human history in, but that's where we find him. And at that time, there were shepherds that were watching these sheep right outside the city. And angels broke the sky open and appeared to them singing almost as if heaven could not contain its excitement about the birth of Jesus. And they give them directions to go into the city to see the event that they had been singing about. And so we're going to go to Luke 2, beginning in verse 15, Luke 2, verse 15 today. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. I don't really know about you, but if all of a sudden the heavens ripped open and God gave me a road map to go see something that he was singing about, I'm thinking road trip, right then. It's one of the most redundant statements in all of Scripture. Let's go. I mean, you know, that sounds like a good idea. Let's go. So let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger when they had seen him. They spread the word concerning what had been said to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said. All were amazed at what the shepherds said. And that statement is something that you don't see. Because we've heard this story so much that we, we, we don't even understand that, that shepherds in their day were the trashmen of our day. Shepherds in their day were the guys that come and pump your septic tank. Shepherds in their day, that was the job nobody wanted. And if you had to describe a ladder of success, they were on the bottom rung. And think about that. When all of this thing breaks forth, who does heaven appear to? Does it go to the king? Does it go to the nobles? Does it go to the merchants? No, it appears before the shepherds. And it lets us know this one thing. This is in your notes. That God invites everyone to join in on this thing that's happening. In Matthew 22, Jesus told a parable about something that was happening, uh, a king that was throwing a party, and everybody that he had invited, the rich and prioritized folks, were busy and didn't have time to come to the party that the king was throwing. 
And so the king said to his servants, go out and get anybody that you can. Beggars off the street, I don't care. God invites everyone in on this. The message of Christmas is a message of inclusiveness that God has given a grand invitation to all of human history. It's not because you're wealthy, because your family comes from the right place. It's not because you've got the right pedigree and it doesn't exclude you because you have a nasty, ugly past or because your family might not be the brightest spot in all of the community. God invites everyone in. The second thing that we can see in this passage is that when God tells you something, you can trust his word because the angels say, you'll find a baby. He'll be wrapped. He'll be in a manger. That's the Messiah. And the shepherds say, let's go. Let's go find this thing. And the Bible tells us that they found it just as they were told. They find the baby just as they were told. When God tells us something, we can trust his word. Stop second-guessing God. When God tells you to do something, do it. When God gives you a way, follow him. When God lays out a plan, be obedient because you can trust his word. And the last thing that's going to lead us into us looking at the gift that we're going to unwrap today is this, that what God does for you isn't just for you. It's for other people too. Because if this moment had happened to many of us, all of heaven breaking wide open, choruses of angels singing to us, God telling us, go look at my son, and us finding it exactly as the angels had told us. If all of that happened, most of us would, at best, put some on Facebook. But most of us would go home and think, I'm so special. Look at what God did for me today. God told me to go look at his son and I got to see it. But that's not what happened with the shepherds. The shepherds didn't stop that moment right there. They continued to go into the community and share a message And the Bible tells us that all who heard this message were amazed. They were amazed at shepherds. Think about that. Because what happened to them, they didn't contain with them. They shared it with other people. So we're going to look today at the great gift that God has given us in community. Let's think about this culturally. Community says we're all together. We're a part of a bigger thing than just me. But 
as a culture, in a broken and busted way, we value our independence. We value our independence. I mean, here's some just simple practical examples. What is July 4th? Independence Day. And we anchor into that day because as a nation, we busted away from an imperialistic regime that dominated us and told us that we could not worship God the way that we wanted to. And so our the folks that moved here centuries ago moved here for freedom purposes and then the empire began to impede on them and encroach on them. And so without having representation fairly in the government, the forefathers of our country, July 4, 1776, declared independence from England. And one of the shocking things if you travel across the world is how Americans are viewed. Now, I love America. I love the fact that we have the ability to gather in a movie theater and worship Jesus. I love that. But when you go to extremely poor countries, when you deal with people who are in developing nations, and they understand that there is a global world that is connected they know that they're dependent on this and this and this and we live in a country where we don't feel like we owe anybody anything that has started to eat away at one of the best gifts God ever gave us here's another thing when we turn 16 what do we want to get we want to get our license we want to get a car why We want to get some independence from our family. I don't want my mom to take me to school anymore. I don't want to ride in that family ride. I want to go wherever I want to go. I want to drive myself. I want to to get independent from my family. And at 15 and a half in South Carolina, I got my license. And at 15 and a half in two days, I got in an accident. (laughs) Because I wasn't ready for it. How many of y'all, when you were 16, you thought, man, I'm ready to take the wheel and get behind this thing and go do something? How many of y'all? Show of hands. How many of y'all now, you scared to death to think about 16-year-olds out there driving? Right? You look back, you go, I just wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. I was, most of the time I was driving with my head down. I don't even know how I got where I was going. I want to be independent. And actually, I would say this, that most parents today would assess that their job as a parent is to raise kids and to teach them to live independently. I I mean, I would honestly say that that is the kind of universal understanding of the job of a parent is to raise kids to maturity where they can live independently and take care of themselves. Because I know my dad told me when I turned 18, I had two choices. You can go to college or you can get somewhere else to stay. But this cultural ideal 
of independence has taken our eyes off of something that is very, very important. And it's that we need people. We need people in our lives. We need to be a part of a community. And so today, we're going to unwrap that gift of community. The first thing that we actually have to do in unwrapping the gift is not just tearing the paper off. We really have to embrace that it's a gift. Because the truth is that for many of us, the idea of living in community with other people, of having friends and and to do life together on a broad spectrum with other people, this is a very daunting thing because we've been hurt by people. We've been wounded through friendships. We've been let down. We've been disappointed. So let's look at what it would take to embrace the gift. The first thing that I would tell you is this. Jesus invited others to follow him, and eventually he called them friends. Jesus, the Son of God, when he began his earthly ministry, asked people to follow him. Why in the world do we think we can do it all alone? Why? I mean, Jesus, the Son of God, incarnate, perfect. I need people. I need, hey, hey guys, I know you're fishermen, but I'll, I'll make you fishers of men. Would, would you come and follow me? Hey, I know you're, Matthew, I know you're a tax collector, and I know nobody really likes you. I know that. But would you follow me? Thomas, would you come and follow me? And he had this group. And in, Matt, and in John 15, 15, he, he looked at them and actually said, I, I no longer call you servants. You're not just people that have followed me and helped me. I call you friends now. Think about that. That the God of all human history looked in the face of people and said, you're my friend. You've put it all on the line for me, and I'm putting it all on the line for you. The second thing that I would tell you is that from the very beginning of all of this, God has wrapped the story of the gospel in relationship. Let's just go back to Genesis 1 and 2. And in Genesis 1 and 2, we get one of those moments where most of us think God was confused. Right? He creates Adam, Adam is alone, so he creates Eve, right? Because he was alone. Do you think God had a busted plan up front? Or was he trying to show us that we might need somebody in our lives? Step forward, God brings Abraham's family out of paganism, brings him to what is now modern day Israel, and begins to establish a family line that the message of redemption is going to be born out of. Fast forward. Jesus. Jesus is born into a family from a family. 
That's what we see at the beginning of Matthew, this genealogy that traces the history of who Jesus is. He's born out of a family into a family. He has a mom and a dad. The gospel has always been wrapped in relationship. And the third thing that I would say, and this is important, and you see this in this passage with the shepherds. When creating his plan to redeem the world, Jesus chose to use us. Think about that with me. God doesn't need you. Right now, God could strike me dead, appear on the screen behind me, and write out his plan for every one of you. He doesn't need me. But God chooses to use us. How did Bethlehem know that a a little baby was born in a manger and that there was something miraculous that had happened around? How did Bethlehem know? Not by angels appearing to them. Because that event happened right outside of the city. Bethlehem knew because some shepherds took it upon themselves to share what had happened with them, with their friends. And for centuries, that's how the message of the gospel has spread. Just by that. I mean, think about this with me for a moment. What is the great divide between all of humans to be able to communicate and share this message? It's the way we speak, right? Because if I plopped you down right now in Slovakia, you might find someone who can speak English, maybe. But if you had to communicate with them, that might be difficult. If I dropped you down in Siberia or in China, anywhere across the world, language will be a barrier But in the first century, at the height of the Roman Empire, following in the wake of Alexander the Great, the whole world spoke Greek. For the first time in history, language wasn't a barrier. And so, you could go tell it on a mountain, over the hills, and everywhere. You could take the message and go and tell. That's why the Apostle Paul, who was both Hebrew and Roman citizen, had universal access to go from town to town to town and share the message that had transformed his life. Because God chooses to use us. So let's together unwrap the gift of community for ourselves. The first thing that I would tell you is that we need to accept that doing life on our own, doing life on your own is a busted plan. 
Doing life on your own is a busted plan. Individuality, more than anything that I have ever dealt with in counseling, is wrecking relationships. The Bible tells us very clearly that especially in the context of marriage, that the two will become one. Right? The two will become one. And so a few weeks ago when I answered some of your questions, one of the questions was, who should I marry? Who should I get married to? And I said, someone that you're willing to lose your identity for. Because that's what should happen. That's what we should be willing to sacrifice on the altar. Our identity. Our individualism. It's not about me anymore. It's about us. There is none of this your problem, my problem is our problem. So we need to accept that doing life on our own is a busted plan. For those of you that have been bent in that direction, I want to tell you something that I think you know. I think you know this instinctively, but I want to remind you of it. And it's that you need to be encouraged, supported, and corrected. You need that. As a matter of fact, I would tell you this. If you have not had a difficult conversation with someone that you looked at them and said, you're right, I'm wrong. In the last year, if you haven't had that in the last year, you're missing out on what God can do in your life. Because we need that love, support, and correction. When we're alone and isolated and we hit a rough day, nobody's there to pick us up and remind us that we're a child of God, that God loves us and that he cares for us and that the negative thoughts that we're painting this situation with probably aren't true. But when we live in community, we have that. So the second thing that we need to do to unwrap the gift is that we must choose to be vulnerable. And that's scary. I know that. Because vulnerability in the context of community says, I need someone. I need need someone. I need need you in my life. I need people in my life. I need you. And Jesus himself said that. Come, follow me. I'm not going to do this alone. Come, follow me. I'm not going to do this alone. We have to be vulnerable. Over time, you're going to learn that to sustain community inside that vulnerability, you have to do two things. You have to give grace and you have to ask for forgiveness. I told you this this last week. Don't wait for someone that's wronged you to come and be humble and apologize. Reconciliation can happen long before that if you're willing just to simply give forgiveness and grace. 
Because it's too often I find in dealing with families that the person that's wronged you doesn't even know it. And you think there's no way they don't know it. But they know it. They don't. They don't. They just know, so-and-so's mad at me. I ain't talking to him. I ain't talked to him in two years. Go get it right. Be vulnerable. You see, people are going to let you down. People are going to fail you. But in that little friend consortium that Jesus surrounded himself with, think about this. Most of them ran when he was crucified. One of the ones that he drug everywhere that saw him literally transfigured into his glory denied him on the day of his death. He chose to take the greedy person who would ultimately try to incite a rebellion by selling him and gave him the responsibility of taking care of the money. If Jesus can surround himself with people that are going to fail him, Maybe we should stop worrying about that a little bit. Maybe we should stop thinking this person just isn't going to do it. I've seen them do it time and time again. They're going to fail me, and we might learn a little bit more about God through their failure than we ever would through their success. And the last thing that I would tell you that we need to do to unwrap the gift is this. Share your story, and invite others. Think about the shepherds. Think about what happened in the life of a shepherd that day. The shepherd who was the person who couldn't get the next job up the rung. The person who couldn't take that next step in the line to advance a career. The shepherd who was stuck in a field, but as heaven opened up over them, And they saw angels rejoicing and they found a baby. They began to go through the city and share. And the Bible says that all were amazed at what they told. Because many of us in this room right now, we're shepherds. You might have a decent job, but you're a shepherd. Because you look back at the rest of your life and you say, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough for God to use me. And all God wants is your story. In Acts 1.8, Jesus, as he's getting ready to leave earth, says, you will be my witnesses. What does a witness do, folks? Tells their story. Doesn't matter how great you think it is. Doesn't matter how poor you think it is. The shepherds left that moment. They didn't consider the fact that they were the people that maybe people didn't want to be near because they were a little smelly, right? They went into the community and began to share the message of Jesus. Because the greatest gift that we will ever give anyone on earth is Jesus himself. Do you understand me when I say that? 
the greatest gift. You will try your hardest to get great gifts this Christmas for your kids. But the greatest gift we can ever give is an invitation to Jesus. I can never make anyone love him. I can never cause them to respond, but I can give the invitation. That's why today in the back of your worship guides, there's two tickets to vintage Christmas. Because I want you to make it a personal mission to invite somebody. A few weeks ago, we challenged you, identify five people in your lives that don't know Jesus, that don't attend church regularly, that need hope. Identify those and love them and serve them and seek them out. Because all God has ever asked us to do is to share our story and to invite other people to follow the same God that we're following. You see, the best way to wrap the gift of Jesus is through our story. The best way to wrap the gift of Jesus is through our story. And for many of us, we already know this, that we need that gift, that we need that gift of Jesus. We need to be touched and transformed by a relationship with Him. But there's many around us that don't know Him, that don't have a relationship with Him. And the kind of community that God builds is a gospel-centered community, a community that's built on the message of hope and faith in Jesus. And that's the kind of community that we want to recognize as a gift. Let's pray together this morning. God, as we look to you today, God, we realize that the best gift that we'll ever get at Christmas is you. That if we can make a priority list of what we want to experience, what we want to be transformed by this Christmas, the greatest number one priority on that is to experience you. And so today, God, we just look to you. We're not afraid of you. We want to step into you and to lean into you today. And we want to ask you to use us in the community that we already find ourselves in and to see it as a valuable gift to us. A gift to us in our lives and then us as a gift to them. Today with nobody looking around, I want to ask you about the gift of Jesus this Christmas. And perhaps where you are with that gift. The greatest gift that you'll ever get is Jesus. And maybe many of us today would say, I've, I'm, I'm learning how to use this gift. It's, it's something that I'm, I've, I'm in this process. I've, I've opened it and I've unwrapped it. I accept it. But maybe there's some of us that are in the room today that we haven't. We haven't done that. And right now, you don't 
experience on a regular basis, a daily basis, a life-giving relationship with Jesus. If that's you and you're here today, that can start right now. Because all you have to do is accept the gift. God's already paid the price for it. He's already bought the gift and he wants to give it to you. So if that's you today, and you would say, hey, you know what? I want to accept and unwrap the gift of Jesus this Christmas. I've never done that before. Maybe I did a long time ago, but I just have walked away from that. And I want to accept Jesus today. If that's you, would you raise your hand real quick? Nobody looking around. Everybody's eyes closed. I see those. Is there anybody else? And for those of us that have maybe unwrapped the gift of Jesus, those of us who need other people, maybe some of us need to unwrap the gift of community and embrace a life with other folks, loving them and them loving us. If that's you today, would you, would you raise your hand as we get ready to pray? Let's pray together. God, today as we really look into your heart, and God, those of us that have raised our hands to say today that we want to respond to you and to unwrap the gift that just of you, of a relationship with you this Christmas, God, would you honor those hands? And for those that have raised hands saying that we want to respond to you this Christmas and experience community in a new and fresh way. Would you come and change us and mold us into the image of Jesus in a way that only you can. Amen.